Welcome back, everybody, to the Classic Rock Podcast. And coming up in this edition, we're going to be looking at a legend. His career has spanned seven decades and taken him from the doo-wop days, writing rock and roll classics as well, like The Wanderer and Run Around Sue, to becoming a purveyor of fine contemporary blues. Yes, of course, Dion, or Dion DiMucci, and he joins me to talk about his life and to look ahead to a brand new album coming this March called Girlfriends. Now, to start this particular program, we've shifted things around a bit because we were originally going to be doing a feature on Magnum and their new album, but that's now turned into a tribute today to Tony Clarkin of Magnum, who sadly passed away in recent days. The new album, though, is out. It is called Here Comes the Rain, which is yet another statement collection of the very best melodic hard rock. And if you still haven't heard it yet, you will find that it follows on in the finest traditions of the band. I was thinking back to my first memories of them earlier on, and it was picking up what was a double single release. So it was a picture sleeve with two singles stuffed inside it. And it was uh, Kingdom of Madness. Uh, From that day on, I've seen them so many times. I think I've lost count. Great band life. Great bunch of guys as well. So here then to begin the show this week is the interview I did with Tony and Bob a while back, where they looked back of 50 years of the band, how it all started in the early 70s. And the the Rum Runner, of course, which became famous as the place that Duran Duran used to hang out at during the late 70s before they became famous. And to take us there, here is a track from Here Comes the Rain, which if it is to be the last album that Magnum produced, then it's a fitting epitaph, I think. And let's not forget, they have left a significant legacy alongside it of great recorded works as well. Complain 
That's only 50 years. 50 years you guys have been together. Back from those days down Broad Street of the <laughs> Rum Runner. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Don Barrow's place. Don Barrow and his, and his brothers and Sabbath were in there. How did you get the gig as the house band? Uh, I joined that band originally when it was called Fred's Box. And I, jo- <laughs> I know what a great name. And I joined Fred's Books. Oh blimey! And uh, and Tony joined afterwards when we changed. The, then he left, and we had another uh, guitar player. Uh, and then we called ourselves Magnum. And then he left, and Tony joined Magnum at the Rum Run. And we we was one of the two resident bands, you know. Um, and uh, we actually. Did for three years, 72, yeah, four years we did there. Uh, and then we moved on because we weren't required anymore by the management. We got the sacrament. <laughs> was that, I, I read somewhere that you got the boot because you started yeah. to get a bit adventurous doing a yeah. bit of um, Steely Dan and Steve Miller. Yeah. Well, also, like I said to the guys, oh, I'm, 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 I'm starting to write some songs. Let's do some, you know, uh, my songs, um, you know, just pop me now and then, and uh, not long after that we got the sax. So I'm not quite, <laughs> I'm not sure how to read that. <laughs> hey, where did, when did you support Del Shannon? I, I came across Afterwards? that bit of curio. Uh, that was that was when you were Magnum or before? No, we were Magnum, um, yeah. and that was after we we'd had the sack. Yeah. And I'm saying to the guys, don't worry, I can get us some work and all that sort of yeah, rubbish. Yeah, yeah. Uh, got a, in contact with some agent guy, I can't really remember his name. And he's, he, I met him at Barbarella's um, and he's going, oh, okay, um, Del Shannon needs a band. And I'm going, yeah, no problem. Well, I remember, obviously, uh, yeah, the... Um, you know, uh, Runaway, when it first came out, well, I was uh, like yeah. a little kid, I think. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I yeah it was, um, Del was a great singer. Um, yeah. And, like, we did a tour with him. I mean, <laughs> we were doing, like, two gigs a night and with no roadies and things like that, nowhere to sleep, sleeping on the floors of... Uh, People's houses. Yeah, and people things. just put them up, put us up, milk. Yeah, you can lie there. Oh, thank yeah. you very much. But it was uh, <laughs> great. I mean, he, um, uh, it, it was like, uh, it was tough work, but it was great, really great. Enjoyed. I mean, I can remember being in uh, Los Angeles many years later, and, and then seeing you know, Dell on the on the TV. I was in a hotel, and I said, "Wow, wow, there's Dell. Look, oh." And like he <laughs> killed himself, you know. It was like I couldn't believe it. it you uh, have come, you have yeah. come a long way since yeah. uh, sleeping on that yeah. cafe floor when you were recording that first album. You'd done "Sweet So My Sweet," which was, and then with a bit of "God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen." Yeah. Then you're recording the album on the on your sleeping on the floor, and then "Kingdom of uh, Madness" mm-hmm. turns out, and that's when the madness verse starts. Because you started, you, you got the recognition or began to get the seeds of recognition. Yeah, I guess so. Um, I mean, it, it was at the time when punk was happening and we were making the most uh, opposite 
sort of music. Couldn't get more different, could you? <laughs> yeah, more different uh, than uh, Kingdom of Madness. And like, the, it was all punk stuff happening at the yeah. time. But he actually, everyone was laughing at us, thinking, you know, what a, a pretentious album and all that, which it probably was. But um, it sort of made a bit of noise for us. And uh, I think it, it sort of snuck into the charts. Yeah, but, it went in the top 50, low down. Yeah. But it was in there at least. Yeah. Uh, and it got remembered and the next album did great as well following that one and we'd never been fashionable but uh, that's how we started to pick up our audience uh, and by doing support tours with various bands and you put yeah because you did you did you with the ufo didn't you in germany a first oh, tour yeah, over there yeah. yeah yeah went to germany with ufo uh and we went all around the uk with um, judas priest and other bands and, and def leopard in the 80s uh, and we that's how we picked up our audience and, Chase uh, the Dragon. Yeah, you got you got Jeb Glixman in as a as a producer, which yeah, it, it looks a bit of a of a coup because he'd had big success with Kansas with Left Overture yeah. and Point of No Return. Yeah. Uh, we was was that planned? Did you go looking for a big producer? No, um, what it was, David Arden came to me and, and said that uh, he said I've got this guy. Um, uh, who I want to get him to produce the album for you. I asked, I asked who he was, you know. I mean, Kansas were one of my favourite bands at the time. And uh, I thought, wow, fantastic. Um, and like, we, he, uh, unfortunately, what happened was we recorded the album and Jeff went back to America. And then I don't think he came out for two years. Like, we were, we were all you know, twiddling our fingers, waiting for it mm. to happen. Um, uh, I think Jet Records was having a sort of bit of a bad time at the, uh, that, that was happening when our album should have been coming out. So, <laughs> But uh, it, I, I went over to America and uh, I finished off a, a guitar solo or something like that. And um, uh, Jeff mixed the, the album and came back and... Uh, played it to David and the guys at the Jet Records and they all loved it, so we were really pleased. Who was who mm. did we tour with? What they called? Crocus. Crocus. Yeah. That was it. Because your album with... went in higher in the charts. Yeah, that's the it. Yeah. Yeah. Did. yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> Hilarious. It was great, man. Yeah. Great yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well that got you on the on the tour, that's didn't it, with with Ozzy. With Ozzy yeah, difficult circumstances because it was the second part of the tour after Randy uh, after Randy Rose had passed. That's right. Um, yes, that's right. But w what was it like touring and uh, living and partying with <laughs> uh, Ozzy Osbourne in his peak years of debauchery? Well, um, <laughs> well, um, we travelled separately. We didn't see much of him, really. Not really, no. It wasn't like we weren't all on on the same buses and all that. It was all separate. Uh, and we had a, they gave us a, a really good crew to look after us and uh, set the equipment up and that. Uh, but oh, we yeah, did no, travel separately. But I mean, I think some of the band used to pop into us to see if we'd got any booze in the dressing yes. room because Ozzy had been banned <laughs> from drinking. That was it, yeah. <laughs> That's it. That's, That's what it. I remember. Yeah, I do, yeah. yeah. You did reading as well, didn't you? 
1980. Does it? It almost brings a tear to the eye, doesn't it? Looking at the lineups back then, looking at them now, you think, "Oh my God, wouldn't you have loved to have been there on that day that you were there?" White Snake, Def Leppard, Gary Moore, Budgie. There's a bit of a story there, oh, of course, yeah, obviously, because yeah. Burke Shelley passed away, uh, literally in the last 48 hours. Uh, um, oh, I forgot to tell you. Oh, yeah, oh my God, I forgot to tell you. I forget. Yeah, Burke's gone. Yeah. yeah so, sorry. what are, what do you remember of the uh, the Reading 1980 festival? Uh, not a lot, really. Uh, <laughs> the first time we did it, I know that. Um, yeah, thirty thousand people, but it's a long time ago, you know. We did yeah, it three yeah. times, Reading Festival. Yeah. So uh, I get them mixed up. <laughs> yeah, maybe, yeah. But uh, we'll, yeah, we did the we'll one. We're talking about. A Talk a bit about Storyteller's Night because your fifth album is really when the the, uh, the life-changing events started to happen. You ended up with the uh, the big Polydor record deal. I saw a, a, a quote from you, Bob, uh, yeah. a while back on one of these millions of interviews you've done. And you said, I don't really know why people love it so much. Oh, the album? Yeah. What, which, <laughs> which album? Storyteller's story Night. Oh, sorry. Sorry, yeah. I totally lost the plot. I don't know why people love Did I say that? Oh, okay. Yeah, I, got, well, I, I looked at it uh, yesterday when I was doing a bit of research. That sounds like yeah. something I'd say, not Bob. No, yeah. I mean, people I talk to, they tell me that's their favourite album of, all, of everything we've done ever. No, no, that's what he's saying. So I, that's the impression I get. That's what, that's what he's saying. Okay. Um, you know, like... Uh, you know, it's like, bizarre because yeah. I was going to say it was it was just like the the album. I remember hearing that on the Friday Rock Show, and I remember it because I actually pulled over in the car and I was actually sat there, turned the engine off, and I didn't get out of the car until they finished playing all the songs that they played. It was that different. Blimey. Well, I don't know, Robert. Nineteen eighty-five. You did. Yes. Uh, you did Donington as well, didn't you? Because mm. uh, that was day. Well, it was a one day then, wasn't it? Yeah. And it was. It was hot. The it, sun shone. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that day we we actually secured our um, our record deal with Polydor. Um. So. The, the 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 guy from Polydor Records was there, a guy called Michael Gola. Yeah, and we're playing. You know, we we were on stage, and he was up behind us on stage, and we're thinking, "Oh, <laughs> blimey!" You know, I wonder what he's going to think. And uh, we we played, and uh, he went up to our manager after and said, "Yes, I will give you a, a record deal." So, <laughs> uh, but in German, of course. Um, and uh, it sort of really took off. It helped us crazily great. Um, it, it's, it's, it only soured after he'd left the record company. I think this, this always happens that someone who works at a record company uh, who, who signs you then leaves uh, the record company and other people are going, who, who are these? You know what I mean? Uh, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. It's a bit crazy, yeah. really. Yeah, we lost. But we support. had some good years. Well, you we did vigilante really... with them, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, uh, we with... did. Yeah, yeah. That was with Michael, Michael Gola. Yeah. Um, Who was... suggested Roger Taylor, by the way? 
as the as the producer? Well, I picked was him. Um, what it was, um, I was in uh, Duran Duran's office they had in London, and uh, the two brothers um, who ran uh, Duran Duran were the sons of the the Barrows uh, uh, from the Rum Runner. Uh, and I was in there. Um, Paul and Michael. Yeah. And uh, I was in their office. And that, I can't remember who organised this, but I had like about to see about seven or eight people who were producers. And probably about the sixth or seventh one, suddenly Roger Taylor walks in. And I went, I thought, oh, blimey. <laughs> you know, I mean, all the other guys I wasn't really sure about. And, uh, but I. I pretty new sort of obviously about Queen and Roger and um, he impressed me anyway and um, I, I just went yeah well, if you want to do it it's great you know let, let's let's do it so um, we went to Queen's studio in uh, Switzerland yeah and uh, did it did the album and uh, Roger doing his bit and uh, Great. Some great tracks on that, by the way. I know they're still the, 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 still a hugely popular "When the World Comes Down." One uh, "Backstreet Kid." I was playing that again the the other day, and that that's a fantastic track, which has travelled, you know, the decades and still sounds as as great today yeah, as like it that. did back then. Yeah, I like that track. I'm not going to say. You went to the Queen after show parties, weren't you? On the Magic tour, did you get to meet <laughs> Freddie? Uh, I didn't personally know, but uh, uh, yeah, it was a great party. It's, uh, <laughs> uh, you go out the door and you get given a bottle of champagne and a glass uh, and help yourself. And yeah, a lot of people were there. And uh, it was like uh, it was an amazing night on the Kensington Roof Gardens. Uh, that was after we'd uh, been in the royal enclosure at the old Wembley stadium to watch the uh, yeah. it's a kind of magic uh, last gig they did there uh so yeah that was an amazing time with rog and uh, uh he did us great and uh, i wish i'd have met freddie murphy that's my one regret but never mind uh i must have been talking to all the people of course but uh, cliff richard was there <laughs> uh yeah and little uh, cliffy <laughs> yeah cliff richard was, he's, yeah he was all cordoned off <laughs> And my wife at the time leapt over the, the cordon uh, wire and uh, uh, gave him a, a big kiss. Uh, uh, she said, oh, I'm a fellow Christian as well. So they were getting on famously. And uh, so I <laughs> left them to it. So you moved, so w Wings of Heaven, which was your, your biggest album, nearly didn't achieve what it went on to do, did it? Because the original which was produced in Holland. Was it right that when you first heard it, the completed product, you just thought, no, we can't put that out? And you had to re you remix the entire thing. Uh, yeah, it was pretty much that that thing. I, I think we were all, um, it was around Christmas time when yeah. we came back from Holland. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, we were in a fantastic studio and there was no excuse um, about it sounding Duff, <laughs> but uh, I, I was really disappointed with it, and um, it, the, none of it was mixed. Um, we we just got rough mixes, but it was just sounding 
just hopeless to me. Um, and we then we came back to England and we went into Psalm East, was it? Psalm, Psalm West. Psalm West then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and we sort of finished it off there. But still, I have to say, um, it's not my favourite album. Purely from a, the sound of it, I, I don't know why. It sounded Have you so ever thought good. of remixing it again? Yeah, I'd rather hang myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 I'm one of those people that I want to go forward. I can't be, can't be doing with all no, that. You, you can't know, be looking of, back over your shoulder. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what, what, what's what was what's done? What is done? You know. Yeah, yeah. Of, mm. I, I really, I, uh, having said that, <laughs> we've just re-recorded Days of No Doesn't Trust. No Trust, yeah. But how it should be, I think. Oh, it should have been, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but well, you uh, top vibed all over Europe. You were charting in countries you'd never done before, and of course, the big thing for you is uh, you play at the NEC, which is oh, yeah. like the the homecoming, really. Yeah, it was uh, it was good. Um, well, yeah, we were doing some big gigs, really big gigs. Yeah, uh, we did. Yeah, yeah, Hammersmith Odeon and. Uh, Wembley Arena. Yeah. I mean, you know, which was pretty big at the time. Uh, so the album did great for us, really. Uh, it was number two in the UK charts. Um, and uh, what can I say? It, it, it sold really great. And Magnum fans love Wings of Heaven, especially Don't Wait the Lion and stuff like that. You know, uh, and Wild Swan. And uh, some, some real good songs on there. Just pity it didn't sound better, that's all. Never mind. Now. The the last album of that decade, which was the one that was supposed to break you into into the US, the big the big market, the panacea for many people. Keith Olsen is a producer. I mean, he'd had some of the the biggest selling albums of the decade. Uh, White Snake's uh, 1987. He'd done uh, Aussies, No Rest for the Wicked, amongst anything else. Were, were you excited? about going over there, experiencing something new, being like on the cusp of this big, big moment? Well, it was, um, I, I'd heard um, an album by Rick Springfield. Yeah, yeah. And um, I thought it was really good. And um, we, that was me sort of trying to convince everybody that Keith would be the, the geezer to... Uh, to, to uh, produce us. Um, I wasn't really aware of... I know that uh, Keith had obviously had masses of success, but it, 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 it was purely on this Rick, Rick Springfield album. I, I don't know whether it was called The Rock or something. I'm, I can't even remember now. But um, um, So, like, it was nice going to America and... I'd already been there and, and written some songs with um, people, a couple of people. Uh, but um, I'd also written uh, a few songs with Rick's, um, Ross Ballard. Ross Ballard. Yeah. Um, and that was an enjoyable experience. Uh, and um, I, I've always rated uh, Ross uh, highly and uh, I think that worked good. Um, again, it was, uh, <laughs> we were treated as if, um, 
we'd gone to America and left England forever. You know, people go, oh, that's it, you've gone to America, all this sort of you've stuff. you've sold out. <laughs> yeah, you've sold out and all that. Yeah. Um, but it didn't sound shot. like it when the album uh, came out. I mean, the, the, the I mean, I've got the album, I'm looking at it at the moment. Um, Rock and Jam, uh, Matter of Survival, Heartbroken Bus. I mean, they were all classic uh, magnum songs that could have been on any of the other previous albums. Yeah, probably, yeah, I mean... Uh, it was, I don't know, people get some crazy ideas, really. Uh, you know, when you look, when you think about it, if you if you think of your style, how you write, how the songs come across, I mean, they were tailor-made for the for the US. If there was one band that you look back at as a journalist or a writer and you think, who's going to be, well, they're bound to do it. They're bound to do it. Just listen to it. E everything about them, the anthem quality, the... Yeah, the fact that you can play it on FM radio, it suits the climate. I mean, it, it is one of life's imponderables how it, it never really happened because you're basically the English journey, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we never really got a chance in America. I mean, it, that that album wasn't released in America. Yeah, it never came out. Like can you believe that? Um, <laughs> what, what? Not in America. Incredible. Yeah. I know, after all that, you know. <laughs> I mean, we, and so, we didn't have the, the ambitions to, to try and break America and all that sort of business. We were just there to make an album, and purely because I, I'd been influenced by hearing uh, Rick Springfield's album, which was great, I thought. And, was that uh, success hasn't spoiled me yet? <laughs> that, that was the album. Was uh, it? Uh, Rick Smith. Yeah, yeah, Success Hasn't Spoiled Me Yet, or Working Class Dog was the other one that he did with um, Keith Olsen. Oh, okay. I can't remember which one it was, though. Um, or Rock of Life. That's it. Oh, that's, that's it. it. Yeah. I thought it was something The Rock. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was that. It was a really tasty album, that was. We, we played with Rick. Um, on Bob and myself, we, we did we did a, a tour of Germany uh, with. Um, it's called Rock Meets Classic. Yeah, uh, yeah, a couple of years ago. Playing with yeah, an orchestra, yeah. yeah, with Uri Heap and uh, 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 Steve Lukather. Steve Lukather, yeah, yeah, and. Uh, so and Rick Springfield. Rick Springfield, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. It was like about a fifty-two piece orchestra, yeah. and that—that uh, uh, that was yeah. uh, like Rick uh, was playing on that. Yeah, yeah, great, cool. It was real good. So brilliant. Well, Carl, lastly, then, just coming back to today and the monster roars. Now the, the the album charts are out a little, a little bit later on. Do you, do you still get a a little buzz? When you click on that to see where you've charted, because it is going to go in the charts somewhere in the top thirty, uh, for sure. I mean, it's had so much publicity, and the, the you know the advanced tracks are, are, are great. D does it still give you a bit of a, a buzz? Yeah, it's a, it's a when we have buzz. an album out, yeah, brilliant. Yeah, it's a big buzz. <laughs> yeah, that's what you've worked for for the last two years. Mm. It's great when it comes. It's, people can actually hear it. Yeah, cause that's all you want to do. You want the audience to hear the album and and start going on tour you know that's yeah. what we normally do uh yeah it's a very exciting time for us and the band and it's you know it's what we're geared up to do <laughs> that's that's our life you know yeah and that's that's your blood you know when an album comes out 
So yeah, because you you've said that you and Tony have got a long way to go yet. Sure. Uh, we've come a long way together. We enjoy working together, and we yeah. ain't finished yet. No, you. That's right. You yeah. bet your life we ain't finished yet. <laughs> I wouldn't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't. You sit down and you you enjoy watching your telly and having a drink at your daughter's pub. Oh, yeah, she still got the yeah, pub. Yeah, I'm a bit of a telly addict. Yeah, and I do like a pint <laughs> and a half over my daughter's pub. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, I I need I need Tony and, and his songs to keep me alive and keep me going for the rest of my life. <laughs> That's what Guys, I mean, yeah. That is, uh, that is fab. Oh, by the way, do you remember, because i tell you where I saw you first, the Granary. Yeah, Bristol Granary. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you go, because the place is now, you know, like the Rum Runners closed down, somebody yeah, turned yeah. that into a, a set of flats, but there's a website uh, the Granary website. If you go on it, it's got old photographs, and you'll see some old photographs of you <laughs> performing <Right>. there. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, we used to enjoy that. I mean, the guy that ran that, he was, he was a. Do you remember the old guy? Yeah, yeah. He was a cool guy. He was. Oh yeah, we got yeah, him. yeah. He was a nice bloke. He was. He loved his bands and his music, mm. his rock and roll. Yeah. Rodney Matthews mm -hmm. would uh, meet us there because mm. Rodney lived in Bristol for us. Uh, yeah. Well, a long time, long I suppose. Time. But uh, he would uh, come down and bring. He, in fact, he brought me the the artwork for on a storyteller's night. To, to uh, we, I was sitting on the uh, the bus outside the gig, mm -hmm. and Rodney walked in and went, "Oh, here's your you know cover." Yeah, he, he hadn't painted it yet, but it was all a sketch, and uh, it, oh, it was like brilliant. So, uh, and that's like one of the, uh, I think one of the covers that like people always uh, talk about, I think. Did but, you, uh, did you yeah. say, did I hear you or read something? You said that the album, it, it was a bit middle-earthy. Not my, no, I wouldn't say that. No, he wouldn't say that. But I might have said that. I might have said, yeah, <laughs> I might have said that. Well, yeah, the cover especially, I think, yeah. So uh, that's probably from me. Well, yeah, there's little guys in there and the big fire and the beams. And yes, it's looking a bit like a, a, a scene from uh, Lord of the Rings. That's the impression I've got and other people have said to me. So it's a nice warm feeling. And then you've got the album as well and you put it all together. It's the whole feel of the whole package. That's what I meant. i 
Time to spend now a little time in the company of a man who has literally seen just about everything in the music business since his early days in the 1950s, along with the Belmonts before settling on a long and illustrious career as a solo artist. He is, of course, Dion, or Dion de Mucci, and he is now, at the age of 84, still producing great albums, and no more so from the next instalment of this series of fine contemporary blues albums. This is called Girlfriends. It's coming out on March the 8th. And, well, we got together a couple of days ago to look back over his, uh, what, seven decades in the music business and to look ahead to this collaboration on Girlfriends. And here's a taste of what that album has to offer.
Here we are about to welcome this this fourth album that you've put together in eight years, which is remarkable after seven decades performing as you have been. And you, you're arguably in the most productive period of your entire career. So what is the key ingredient, not only to this, this longevity, but to maintaining the quality of what you do? Well, I... Th- <laughs> Tim, I think underneath it all, uh, I've been clean and sober for like 55 years. I talked to Eric Clapton about this, and uh, 
I think that has a lot to do with it because back in 1968, uh, I was living in chaos and uh, I don't know. I don't know if I would have made it through my 20s. So I, I just put down the, the cigarettes, the drugs, the alcohol in, in 1968, and I haven't looked back. Uh, so I think that has a lot to do with, uh, you know, clarity of my mind and my body. And, you know, I, I went into like a, a spiritual 12-step based program. And I, I think it really helped my life a lot because I've been married 60 years. I have three daughters. I'm a grateful guy and I'm relaxed, you know. So, the uh, you know, I, I hate to say this <laughs> because I know how difficult the lockdown was for a lot of people. There, there was agony and misery through it. But it was one of the best times of my life. I, I I became so creative. I was I I couldn't go anywhere. You know, we were like yeah, we were yeah. like in our houses. So I so I wrote. I I was writing the best songs of my life. I seemed like I stepped under the spout where the glory comes out, or under the wellspring <laughs> of creativity. And these songs just start flowing. And one day, Joe Bonamassa came over. <laughs> He said, I want to play on that. And, and that started it because I, I know how to record a good, I, I know how to make a record. I, yeah, yes. I know how to make a, a good record. I want to transmit this enchantment to people. I want to, uh, you know, this, this delight. I want people to go, oh, yeah. <laughs> so I try to make one of those records. But to have a guy like Joe Bonamassa, play, uh, you know, I, I found out how limited I am because I don't think uh, in, in those terms, you know, I didn't even think of a slide guitar player on blues coming on and then uh, take it back the way Joe plays. And then I just, I thought, this is, this is a great idea. I'm going to ask artists to contribute to my songs. I'm going to make the record. I'm going to send it because I listen to a, a lot of music and I, so sitting in my truck, listening to what I've done, you know, new songs are recorded and the tracks with the musicians, I'm thinking, Mark Knopfler would sound good on this. Hey, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Susan Tedeschi would sound good on this, you know. So I just, or Sonny Landreth, you know. And so that's what I've been into. It's been a very, very creative time in my life. I'm... Thanks for noticing because I, and I'll tell you one other thing. I don't know. This is crazy. I've always been on somebody else's schedule. Uh, so making albums were like pulling teeth or agony at times because I was always <laughs> waiting for somebody to stop talking for 30 minutes and having to do this, you know, and I had to get ready when, everybody else was ready. Well, yeah, yeah. This isn't like that. I'm doing it on my terms and I'm ready. I'd sing the song and I'm, I'm, it's just been wonderful. I, I'm, I've had a great time. It's like a lot of fun doing these albums. I'll tell you. You, you said previously that you, you didn't pick the collaborators before the song is done. You write it and then you think, 
hmm, I think I'd like to hear them on it. Now, is Girlfriends different? Did you write this specifically with the cast list in mind? No, same thing. I I wanted, you know, my the way I think of it is I, I want to write a great song. You know, the blues, the blues genre is is just very guitar driven. Uh, I mean, it's all about guitar. You know, it's it's a lot of guitars, and which I love. That's why I'm I'm in it. I just love guitars. Right? So there's nothing wrong with that. But I wanted to, you know, maybe contribute something a little different with the lyrics. You know, like. Like, for instance, I had this word, well, let me tell you that when I had this word soul force. So I said, I- I'm going to write a song about this because these girls that I-, I wanted to do an album with women because I had a great time on the last on Blues with Friends and Stomping Ground, the last two albums. I had a great time with uh, Samantha Fish and I had a great time with Ricky Lee Jones I just loved working with the girls. It was it was a lot of fun. And there's something about when a beautiful girl walks in the room who's talented, the atmosphere totally changes. You know, it just totally changes. Yeah, so yeah. it's the feminine genius, you know. So I thought, I'm going to write these songs. I'm going to come up with a concept. And, I, and, and you know, I, I start out strong, you know, like, I thought that I could dazzle by distraction. And how could she resist my kind of action? You know, and, I, <laughs> and I end up strong uh, on the, uh, with the concept. And I wanted to write every song like that. And so I, I got my friend Mike Aquilina to help me out. And uh, we, uh, we honed out these songs. And uh, you're right. What I do is, let me put this light on so I can see. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> uh, I, uh, so I, I, I get these songs, and you're right. I, I like to, I, I finish them off. I sing the whole thing. And some I had where they were conversational, you know, like sitting across the table talking to somebody or on the phone or yeah, yeah. Or, you know, or together, but I, I didn't. I didn't want to like make it boring, so I, you know, I, I changed it up a bit. Some girls played guitar, like uh, like Susan Tedeschi on Soul Force. She killed it. She played guitar. You know, uh, my only regret is, uh, and we we both agreed on this. Somewhere in the future, we're gonna we're gonna sing together because I just love the way she sings. I, I love the way she sings. Uh, but you're right. I, I finish the song, and when I'm listening to it, I, I, I'm i thinking, Rory Block belongs on this song, <laughs> or uh, Christine Ullman, because I know these people, and I, I, I know what they're capable of doing and how much information and beauty and truth and good music is in their head. You know, like a girl like Christine Holm, she is steeped in the history of rhythm and blues. So when, when she, you give her a song, she just kind of just gets inside of it and and gives you herself, you know, and you don't have to tell any. I never told any of these girls anything to do. Do you, do you find back now that, that you are almost 
sat at the head of the table, right? You're the one that others will maybe come to for inspiration, uh, maybe for guidance or, or to share thoughts. And if you are the one that is getting in contact with them, there is no shortage of people that are just like, are you kidding? Absolutely. I'm there. What time? You know, everybody wants to, to come and be involved. It's almost like, and I don't like using this sort of this term, but I do think it fits. You're like, you are the godfather. Well, you know, I, I to be honest with you, I was like, I, I never felt like that, but never. I mean, that would be kind of insane. That would, that would kind of feel insane to feel like that. I, I, I always feel... You know, because I'm calling up these great musicians, you know. But I'll tell you, I get such a wonderful response, especially from uh, Eric Clapton, who he said, you know, you were one of the guys who got me into this, you know. And and, and when he, you know, Tim, this, this is very strange. The, the people I ask to play on my songs, sometimes I think they play better on my songs than they do on their own. <laughs> I like it. You talked about the the uh, female, the, sorry, the feminine genius on on every every track here. But you also have gone into the the significant influence of women in your life, beginning you know, with your mother, whose uh, influence loomed large over the, the whole family, your sisters, your daughters, there has always been uh, the, the influence of women around you. Oh yeah, my mother was, uh, you know, she was the hub of the family. She had two jobs and she was a strong woman. She, she just worked hard. She was a worker, you know. Uh, and then I have two sisters and then I got married to Susan Butterfield, who kind of saved my life in a way because I was a wreck, a train wreck. <laughs> and uh, we have three daughters. And so I, I always had a lot of women around me. And I have four granddaughters. And, uh, and so <laughs> it's just, you know, uh, and I say this, I... There's a friend of mine who talks about the feminine genius, and I thought, wow, he put a name to it. That's what it is, and it is. It's just, uh, <laughs> and sometimes they don't have to say a word, you know. Uh, it's just incredible uh, to have uh, finished this album with these women. It, it was just, it was really, it was a lot of fun, you know. I, I, I did a song with yeah. Rory Block cool don't you want a man like me because it, you know in the in the blues genre there's a thing i call bragging rights you know i'm a man i'm the, i'm the hoochie coochie man the wanderer king of the new york street you know these bragging rights you know i just love it because they're over the top you know manish boy but muddy waters you know that kind of thing so i, yeah, I wrote yeah. this song called don't you want a man like me you know the kid is here you know so, so she's Rory Block is a wonderful blues artist. Another one who is so steeped in the blues, she has so much to draw on, you know. So she she gave it her all. She comes in the studio and she does this incredible, uh, you know, just contribution to you know delivery. And, and 
her husband comes out of the booth. He says, Dion, don't play this for your wife. You should get in trouble. You know, because, <laughs> I mean, she sounds like uh, Meg Ryan in, uh, what was it, Harry? Uh, yeah, when it's like, what is she? I'll have what she's having, you know. In the notes <laughs> of the, the album, Darling Doves, talking about the influence you had. Again, this is another part of this, these people queuing up to, to lavish praise yeah we you heard about what eric clapton said um she was saying that you're part of my musical uh upbringing clapton was talking about you know my musical wake up how how good does it make you feel to know that you've had this influence you want yeah you hit something something (laughs) very personal there and very uh deep inside me and it, it sounds almost trite to talk about but let me let me try to put it together. I'm glad I lived this long because I've never asked for help. And uh, when I started asking people to join me on, and they were happy to do so, Tim, it made me feel so good. I can't tell you. I've, I've always, I, I grew up in a world where I thought it's, you should never ask for help. It's, it's, you know, my mother had such pride. Don't ask anybody for help. You know, you got to do it yourself, that kind of thing. You know, you got to earn gotta, yeah. all this pride, you know. So I started asking for help, and it was amazing. I sent the song to Patty Scalfa and Bruce Springsteen uh, to, because uh, I love the way Patty Scalfa is the Jersey Soul Girl, man. So I send her this track called Angel in the Alleyways, and she sends me back, I think it was about 48 tracks, and I forgot. But it was numerous tracks. It could have been more. But because this was the only song I sent out just with my guitar, my you know, just, just with the guitar. There was no bass, no drums, no nothing. I wanted her to, I thought she was going to do harmony, and I wanted her to hear it very clearly, what I was doing. But she ended up designing and producing the song and every verse is different. And so when you get something like that back from Bruce and Patty, you, I know this is going to, it's, it's almost embarrassing to say, man, but you, you feel loved. You feel like, wow, you know, wow, they, they, you know, they really gave me time. You know, it wasn't like, um, like with Eric Clapton, the same thing when he played on. Uh, if you want to, if if you want to rock and roll, the song is called. I, I called him up. I said, Eric, you sound nineteen years old on this song. He, said, <laughs> he played it standing up. He said, didn't yeah. He? he said, I stood up, yeah. and and I took that up like he really, he really wanted to do a good job, and he did. You know, he wanted to put effort into it. We saw the lights go down across the land We were waiting for someone to take the stand And there was no one near to hear the call No one 
grew up in a little town just off the grid. We didn't have a dime to spend, but no one did. We watched the world from far away. It was growing You know what? If you if you're ever having a bad day, or you, you wake up and you're just not feeling great, all you've got to do is look down the list, really, haven't you? I mean, Bruce Springsteen uh, was talking about you being the you know the real link between, or the only link between Sinatra, rock and roll, and the blues. 
uh, Lou Reed, of course, talking about your voice, saying, listen, once I heard it, it was it was in my my head forever. But I think the, the greatest quote was from Bob Dylan, wasn't it, when he said that, you know, your voice takes its color from all palettes. He's never lost it. And his genius has never deserted him. Yeah, I, I you know, Bob Dylan complimented uh, my songwriting. Uh, I thought, wow, I'll take that. Yeah, it, you know, what, what could I say, Tim? It makes you feel good. And, and uh, that's a beautiful thing, you know. Um, yeah, so yeah. Life too. is about giving. You know, I'm, I'm not saying there's not a place, you know, there's a time to say no, but I've just been overwhelmed with uh, uh, these last three albums. The, the fr first, the friends I've made, you know, I, I never really had many conversations with Mark Knopfler or uh, Peter Frampton. And oh, yeah, yeah. I became like friends with these, these guys are great guys. I mean, not a talented and it's just it's humbling they they are so humble you know they they're like so unassuming you know and they the and mark Knopfler was all in like wanted to help so he, he got, it was fun working with him you know and i love his sound it's just i was just so overwhelmed by that you know uh, i know that van morrison's involvement with the with the friends album was the first time you said in 57 58 years that you'd impressed your wife uh, what did she think of girlfriends well yeah uh, uh, you know she 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 loves the songs and she knows some of these girls and she just gets so happy to hear us you know collaborating together like debbie davies and Christine Oman uh, and, you know, Rory Block and uh, some of these girls, you know, I've been fans forever, like Sue Foley. So, so Susan is like, uh, she's happy for me. You know, she's, she's like, uh, she's like part of it, you know. Uh, you did mention that um, when men, when guys, musicians, it doesn't actually have to be music. Whenever you get into a room and there's there's women there, there is a there is a different vibe. Men are different creatures. Uh, is there just the obvious, simple reason for that? Well, on some level, maybe you know. But my friend, my uh, my co-producer Wayne Hood, he's married to a beautiful girl, a singer, blonde, tall, gorgeous girl. And he's when I wrote the liner notes to this album, and I call them the feminist genius, the feminine genius. He said to me, Dion, I know exactly what you're talking about. He says, when I when I walk into a rehearsal hall with musicians alone, but when I walk in with Aaron, my wife, the whole room changes. <laughs> he says the room changes. So I know exactly what you mean. He said, at some level, I think we're all trying to uh, impress, you know, or like get their attention or, you know, at some level, you know, it's, uh, it's amazing. Now, this, this love of the blues, which when I look and listen to interviews you've done in the past, 
I'm amazed. It still surprises some people. They're like, oh, you've done a, a blues album. But this has been a lifetime's dedication after those those early years when you were listening to Louis Prima. I'm, try, I'm trying to imagine the scene. It's, it's like a nighttime radio. Radio is a big thing then, isn't it? Yeah, you're in your bedroom, you've got your transistor radio on, and you've got this radio station in Virginia pumping out blues. And I, what was it? Uh, Hank Williams' Honky Tonk Blues, and then Jimmy Reed, uh, Baby, What You Want Me To Do. These were the moments that were defining moments for you as, as a kid. This is what hooked you in. Absolutely. I, you, know, you know, Tim, I don't think I've ever changed. I think I'm pretty easy to, to understand because when, when I was, you know, 11, 12, I, when I heard Hank Williams, I never heard it. You know, I, I, I'm from Bronx, New York City. Nobody listened to country music in Bronx. They didn't, they, I didn't know what jambalaya meant in the 50s, honky-tonk blues. I had no idea even what it meant. So... I got hooked on Hank Williams. I started collecting his records. I, when I went on tour with Buddy Holly, I was playing him the backsides of, of uh, Hank Williams' 78s. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And, and, and he didn't even know what they were. I knew about 40 Hank Williams songs by the time I got on tour with Buddy Holly. So, um, you know, then I heard Jimmy Reed. So I always say I wanted to uh, communicate like Hank Williams and write like him, if I could, you know, God, you, you know, uh, hot, the golden standard there. But I wanted to communicate like Hank Williams and roll like Jimmy Reed. And uh, you had a record shop, didn't you? Just up the uh, up the block, a place called Cousins, yeah. which was run by a guy called Lou, Lou uh, Cicchetti, who you got to know me. And the guy would be, he would call you, wouldn't he? Whenever there's anything you thought that you'd like, he'd say, hey, you've got to come listen to this, and you'd be straight up there. Well, he, I don't know if he thought I, but he would call me whenever a new Hank Williams record came out or a new Jimmy Reed record came out. He would get it for me, and I would run up there. And, yeah, he took a liking to me. But, but Tim, you know, all my life I've been trying to transmit the feeling that Jimmy Reed and Hank Williams gave me as a kid in here. I wanted to design something and put something together physically so I could transmit it to others all my life. I'm still, I'm still doing that all these years. It's just a passion, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. It took me into a place that we don't experience on, on this level. It took me to a, you know, transcendence. It, took me to a higher reality, a, a, a place that of delight and pleasure and enchantment that, you know, that, that I don't experience on this level. So, uh, and, and it, it, it stayed with me, you know, it got me on a road and, and that's what I'm all about. No matter what I'm doing. 71 years, I reckon, uh, uh, if the dates are right, 71 years since you got up on the stage at uh, uh, Maguire Dick's Lakehurst Army Base, Fort Dix, uh, as, as they called it, needed cold, cold heart, uh, jambalaya, and, and hey, good looking. And at the end of the night, you got a guy, you got a guy with a great name, by the way. You, was it Yodi Bart gave you $20? And you're like, well, I've got to do this for my life. This is, uh, what is this? I've sung three songs and I've heard 
earn more money than my dad makes. Well, my, they were, my parents were paying $36 a month rent and they were arguing every day about getting it together because, you know, my mother made, you know, because back then when I, when I first went on tour with Bobby Darren, my first tour, or I would say 1959 with Buddy Holly, I remember that firemen and policemen made uh, about $80. They, they were highly paid. They were paid good well. Uh, they, were, they were paid about $80 back then a week. So I was, I was making much more than that a week, you know. So I, I was like, uh, nobody in my family ever won like that. But, yeah, it, it really, that motivated, that felt good. But, you know, I was never, it was never for the money. I never really got, hey, I should go there. For the, I was always, it was always about the music. It's always about the song. When the song is right, the whole band is good looking. When the song, when the song is not right, nobody even cares. <laughs> Did the real career directional change come that day that you were, sat with Aretha Franklin at the, the piano when John Hammond comes over and says, hey, you've got to listen to this, and handed you that stack of uh, Robert Johnson records. Yeah, you know, I, I, was, I was recording at Columbia, and John's Ham, John Hammond's office was maybe five feet away from the door that, you know, I was... I was re Bob Mercy used to re record... Aretha and, and myself when when we were very young, you know, I was the first rock and roll assigned to Columbia Records and uh, and she was there and they were giving her a lot of Al Jolson songs, you know. So, so I got on the piano and started playing Drip Drop and uh, John Hammond across the way came in and he said, you really have a flair for the blues. So I've been doing it since back then, but I, I really never it never connected where I, I, it just never connected until about 20 years ago when I was uh, in, being interviewed by Terry Gross for NPR. And I was, I was punctuating my story with some of the songs I grew up with. And, and a friend in New York heard me and he said, Dion, you got to do a blues album. And I did, it was called Bronx and blue. Yeah, yeah. That got Grammy nomination, didn't it? Just with my, yeah. And just with my guitar, I did it in two days. And, and when I, again, when I played that record in my truck, I thought, oh my God, th this comes out of me so easy. I don't even have to think. It's like, it's right in the center of my being. It's like breathing. Uh, yeah. I'm not a, even aware of myself. It just comes out. So I thought, uh, this is really the foundation of everything I've done. You know, and I went, and then, you know, it, when I look back and I see I was doing Ruby Baby, and even Billy Gibbons told me that. He said, Dion, when I was a kid, he said, I went to the record store. I got Ruby Baby. I got The Wanderer. I got Trip Trap. They're all blues songs. He said, and I, I even think Run Around Sue is a cleverly disguised blues song. So he was... Uh, you know, I just never connected to the genre or the, you know, I was just all over the place. 
there was a lot of reluctance initially, wasn't there, to you playing the guitar, especially from the TV and the record company execs in the in the earlier days. It, basically, they were saying, "Look, lead singers don't play the guitar. Put the guitar down and just sing." You're obviously glad you never took the advice. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, it was like that because, you know, I was just looking to to make a record. I, I was looking to, uh, I, I was looking to just do something creative. And when I got down to this company, they put me with this group that I I really didn't like. That you know, I didn't identify with them. They were older guys, uh, you know, and they were they were kind of square, you know. And so I said, listen, if you want me to sing with, with, you know, a group, I'll, 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 you know, get some of my friends in my neighborhood. I'll get some, I'll recruit some, I'll recruit some guys in my neighborhood. So I did, because I, I knew guys in my neighborhood used to always hang out near the jukebox and sing harmony and do stuff in the pool room. So I, I got, a, you know, three guys and we went down there and we, you know, we started we named ourselves Dion and the Belmonts and we started out with doo-wop stuff. And I, I, you know, I was just trying to make a record, but I kind of lost myself. My, you know, my love was just getting that guitar and selling a song and somewhere in that mix. It it got to me. I said, you know, I love doing this and I'm because they were, you know, talented guys, you know, and uh, friends and I, I just had to move on, you know. I, I, I wanted to, you know. I had something. I was hearing different stuff in my head, you know. Your definition of the blues, and it, it's good to touch on the the, the spiritual um, aspect, because you, you said when asked the question, it, it's the naked cry of the human heart longing to be in union with. God. And I know a lot of people uh, were quite surprised. They think, oh, the Bible is the source of the blues. Now, that is uh, interesting. But as you said, everybody in the Bible has got the blues, including God, from having to deal with us every day of the week. <laughs> you know, you said it. <laughs> That's it. And everybody's everybody's crying out. You know, they. Uh, if you read the Psalms, you know, they're all crying out for... To, to get some peace and connection and union, you know, uh, it's it's quite remarkable. You know, you you say, "Wow, I'm, I'm not alone." You know, uh, you know, people have. I like what Bono says. He says, "I'm on an you know, I'm on an ancient track of wisdom." I said, "Yeah, I could see that." You know, there, there's there's like a thread from way back there. If you could get on it, you could. It's and make it part of your story, It there's a lot of sanity in it. There's a lot of, uh, uh, you know, foundation building and that kind of, uh, it, it helps get you through life, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, you said when you were, you were growing up that you were quite a weird kid. You loved the music, but you also loved reading about God and wanted to know, obviously, why you were here. The answer to the to the big question: Why did that uh, mean so much to you? Why, why were you seeking that answer at such a a very very young age when kids are like, you know, girls' music, 
of fast cars. Well, that's what it was about to me. You know, Ch Chuck Berry was writing about, you know, school and, and, and fast cars, you know, cars. And, and But I was, like, always kind of philis philosophy, philosophical. Philosophical, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. like, uh, you know, love came to me, and, and I knew it would. And uh, when she kissed me, I was born, then she said goodbye. And then I knew right away I was born to cry. And I was <laughs> writing these... Crazy, and then then when I went on tour with Buddy Holly and that fatal plane plane crash, I think I I remember that I was on that bus the next day. Thinking, why am I here? Why is this something rather than nothing? Who am I? Where am I going? What's this all about? I was like asking questions, like I had more questions. It just blew, it just unsettled me. You know, I was like, these guys, right. I was so close to these guys for two weeks. We were having such a good time. I was 19, very impressionable. So it threw me on this road of search, searching and uh, and just searching, you know, like I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Like, like Bonnie says, everybody's got a hungry heart and it comes out of St. Augustine, he said, you know, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're restless until we, we rest in God. We're, we're, yeah, and St. Saint, Saint Augustine said something great. He, he said, when you're singing, it's like praying twice. And I get that because, look, number one, if what I have is a gift, there's got to be a gift giver. So, the thing is that when you're using the gift, whether when you're writing, when you're, you know, doing what, you know, the gift you've been given, we're in the middle. We're, we're connected. We know exactly who we are. You know, when, when I'm in the middle of that song, it's like I'm roller skating. I'm like, yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, I, I get it. It's like praying twice. You're, you're just your your mind and heart are raised to a higher level. Yeah, yeah. You know, I. You mentioned the uh, the Buddy Holly and the plane crash. It, it's the 65th anniversary, of course, in the first uh, week of, of February. How, how does somebody? I mean, we won't go over the story again because it's so so well known. We don't need to do that. But how does somebody come to terms with this, especially considering how young you were? And did it turn into basically a lifelong grieving process? with that lifelong unanswered question, you know, why me? Yeah, you, you know, I don't think I ever really, it, it just never, it never went away, so to speak, until 2009 was the 50th anniversary and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame called me up and said, Dion, we're going to bring a camera down there. We, we want to hear your story because we were out at the, uh, at, you know, uh, we were out at the 50th anniversary out in Clear Lake, Iowa, uh, at the uh, the surf ballroom, and we were listening to people, and nothing made sense. Could you tell us your story from your from your perspective? So they came down, and I told them the whole story. It's on YouTube. It's uh, I think it's called Buddy yeah, Holly. Yeah. Uh, 
true story or but you know but they, were, they wanted it for the archives for the rock and roll hall of fame so i went from a to z i told them the whole story i no one's ever asked you know and you, you who asks and you sit down and talk for an hour and a half you know but this was the first time i did it and then when i went out with the president of the rock and roll hall of fame at the time terry stewart and a Avery Friedman, who was sitting next to him, he's a lawyer from Cleveland. He, uh, we went out for lunch, and at lunch I started crying. <sighs> it was, uh, it, it was like, uh, uh, it was, it just, it, I just, it just broke. It was like uh, cathartic, or uh, I don't know the word that you use for that, but it, 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 it yeah, yeah, uh, no, super bright. It, I felt like I could breathe finally, you know, for some reason it put a lot of things at rest. Uh, so I was very happy they did that. You know, I, I never had the opportunity to do that, you know? Uh, so it, it, it did linger, you know, I miss those guys on a lot of levels, you know, they were, they were just great guys and uh, great artists and songwriters and brothers and friends and, um, yeah, and my, I just want to make them proud in what I do, you know. Someday I'm going to see, yeah, in my yeah. faith, relationships never end, you know. Uh, mind you, I suppose one quote that you've said in the past fits perfectly, I suppose, into that, where you just said, I just feel like I've had uh, an angel guiding me on, on a higher reality, which would fit. Well, I don't know. They say you have a guardian angel. I don't know. I, yeah. You know, all I know is if I have a guardian angel, he must, three quarters of the time, he must be going, oh, crap, not this again. <laughs> Help me out, this guy. Because... Let's end. Let's end on 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 a on some of the light, a few lighter moments. Uh, there's there's been obviously so many great stories about you uh, down the down the years, and uh, one of the most asked questions: Who was run around Sue? Now, firstly, it obviously wasn't your wife. I can't believe anybody who put that out there because they obviously had never listened to the lyrics. If you'd you'd have clocked in one, um, but there was a great story behind that, wasn't there? Because she, run around Sue, with the loose morals, uh, ended up phoning into a radio show you were on one day, and you find out she married a rabbi and had six kids. Now, is that a true story? That is. That is. You know, I, I don't want to mention her name, but her name didn't rhyme with anything. That That is a true story. Thanks for reminding me about that. I was, I, gee, I forget the guy's name when I was interviewing me. He called himself... Uh, uh, I don't know, something with the keys. Uh, anyway, uh, you know. But that might, I mean, you, you must have been sat there thinking, no, this can't be real. She can't be ringing up. She's, she's just actually told everybody who she is. Yeah, no, you know, she didn't know. that. I don't think she knew the song was written about her. But, you know, and I didn't know her that well. But it's, it's a story. You know, she was... Great. She was very close in the neighborhood, you know, and I, you know, and I, I just thought, you know, her name didn't rhyme with anything. So it just, uh, I, 
the way we, we wrote it was like that, you know. And tell me, uh, what happened to Jackie Burns, who obviously was the was the subject in the, the, the Wanderer? He was the, the Wanderer. So did he know, first of all, that that song was written about him? Did you ever tell him? Um, and whatever happened to him? I think he's gone now. You know, he's, I don't think he's, I think he passed away. But Jackie Burns was kind of like a, he was bigger than life. You know, he was, uh, he used to walk down the neighborhood with his tank top and his curls drooped in front of his forehead with his tattoos, Flo and Janie and Rosie, you know, and just, you know, he had this gait, you know, this you know, yeah, yeah. attitude. <laughs> he was worth the song, you know. <laughs> but I don't think you want to know. I don't think he ever knew the song was about him. Bruce Springsteen said about that that song that if people get it, if people really get what that song was about, then they'd find out what a man should be. What What did he mean? I mean, I know that the lines in the it's basically about going nowhere. It's it's not a it's not a song that glorifies anything, but it's it's about going nowhere. So, what did he mean by that about what a man should be? Well, a lot of people think <laughs> they listen to the verses. You know, you, you be you know, it's like I'm the type. Of, it's one of those bragging rights songs. It's so over the top. It's ridiculous. You know, I got Flo on my left arm, Mary on my right. Janie is the girl that I'll be with tonight. And when she asked me which one I love the best, I tear open my shirt and I show Rosie on my chest. Yo, I'm the wanderer. And then Springsteen got the lines, I roam from town to town. I go through life without a care. I'm as happy as a clown with my two fists of iron, but I'm going nowhere. And then he goes right back into being a jerk, you know, but he, yeah. the wanderer, uh, he, he, for one moment, he sees himself, you know, uh, he knows he's going nowhere. And uh, it, it's, you know, it's, it's not that happy, you know, back then, I guess if somebody did it today, they would do it in a much diff with a different arrangement, not in a, a, in, in a major key, you know. Uh, but back then, everything had to be happy and up, you know, so. But, yeah, he he was on to it. He thought, he thought if you see yourself accurately, you know, that guy, the Wanderer, is a thin veneer of a man. He's, yeah. he, he's really not, uh, you know, uh, he's not going anywhere. You know, he, he doesn't, there's not much to him, you know. And that line that you mentioned in the song, The Two Fists of Iron, stop and I'm going nowhere. The I'm going nowhere was very nearly two fists of iron and a bottle of beer, wasn't it? Yes, yes. You know, uh, I, I'm glad. Wow, am I glad that radio wouldn't have played it if we said that. Back then in the 50s, if you said bottle of beer, they wouldn't have played it because it was going out to teenagers. Well, what they did is they made me rewrite rewrite the word the line and and change it I, I think it gave it much more depth you know and and it, i think it made the song really work for me oh and i'm the type of guy 
My f- favourite quote about you, or one of the favourites, Little Richard's mum. I- I'm just trying to imagine the scene. She's sitting there and you- you- you're in the room and she turns to you and just says, you got soul, son. You can groove. I mean, <laughs> is-, is that one of your favourite quotes about you? Well, you know, Little Richard's mother. It's, it's you-, you don't forget stuff like that. <laughs> you know, she... Uh, <laughs> She really, uh, she she really made me feel good. She she was, she was talking about the song "Ruby Baby," and she felt I sang it with a lot of soul, you know. And she and she complimented me, and I was I was just delighted. I was like, if Little Richard told me, I probably would have forgotten, but his mother told me. See <laughs> 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 about women, the the feminine genius, you know. So you like to take people on a trip. You like to write songs that are worth listening to that spark your imagination. So you've arguably, in these last three albums, produced more in there than you have done for years before. So looking to the future, you know, uh, I mean, obviously it's difficult to predict what's going to happen, but what, what are your plans? What would you like still 
to achieve. And I know, I know Bob Dylan might be in somewhere, in there somewhere. A collaboration with him would be good. Oh, God, he's, uh, I, I really, uh, he's something special. You know, I, I've always looked at genius as um, someone in his particular field, what they're doing and what everybody else is doing. And, and there's the, the distance between what they're doing and what everybody else is doing. And with Dylan, it, he's just remarkable. You know, he, he's, he's a remarkable person. Some people are born that way. So, uh, yeah, I would l love to do something with him. You know, it's just, I, I just think the world of what he does. You know, I'm, you know, one of my favorite artists. Have you already got plans for what's coming next? I mean, are you, are you looking at, or do you not do that? Do you just sort of take every day as, you know? Tim, we have a play that's going to open on Broadway this year. Uh, we're just negotiating for the theater right now. We picked the theater. We finally did. And uh, it opens up in the fall. And we're going in with The Wanderer, the play The Wanderer. And it's it's got rock and roll, street history. It's got uh, action, you know, the gangs, you know, like the Young Sopranos. <laughs> I to a gang when I was a kid. And romance, because I met my wife when I was 16. She was 15, 14, you know. We're still together. I've been married 60 years. So, How did you do that, by the way? How, how, how did that survive? Um, yeah, I mean, because not only has your career and your singing career uh, survived everything, you, you've actually had one marriage. I mean, that, again, is completely unheard of. you got to ask her. <laughs> <laughs> you got to ask her. She, she's, uh, I, you know, she, she's, 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 down to earth, you know, she comes from, from yeah, yeah. she didn't come from the Bronx. So she's very much close to the earth and close to what's real. And it's always kept me in a, just in a beautiful place, you know. They could always use you as a role model, couldn't they? Of, if you, if this is the way to do it, this is how to have a successful oh, career. Yeah, you want to know the truth? If I didn't know me, I'd probably be impressed, but I know me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I get. Well, you 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 said one. I mean, uh, this was another one of your quotes. If you unzip the top of my head and look inside my brain, you would see a very peaceful place. Married for what sixty years, lives simple, like good food, love family, and that's well. I I I. I I give a lot of credit to the 12 steps, you know, they, they, they gave me yeah. a design to live. I didn't have that. I didn't have a design, you know, uh, I didn't have a blueprint, you know, and, and they're designed to lead you into union with God and, and to open you up to your creator, which is a very, you know, which is the most create courageous thing you can do as a man. Open up. I love open people. That was Dion. What a legend he is. Seven decades in the business and still has the same level of enthusiasm he did on day one. 
Uh, the new album, Girlfriends, is out on March 8th on Joe Bonamassa's Keeping the Blues Alive label. Uh, this the third of those collaborative albums with rock and roll and blues legends. It's worth going back if you missed them. 2021 Stomping Ground, which included guests uh, like Peter Frampton, Mark Knopfler, Billy Gibbons, uh, Bruce Springsteen on there with Paddy Schialfa as well. And if you go back to 2020's Blues with Friends, you'll find collaborative works with Jeff Beck, Brian Setzer, of course, of the old Stray Cats, Paul Simon and Samantha Fish. They're all available and all great albums. And that is it for this edition of the Classic Rock Podcast. And if you enjoyed that interview with Dion, by the way, you'll be able to see it in full video format on the website over the course of the next week or so. Uh, don't forget, you can listen to all of the previous editions of the show on the website, www.theclassicrockpodcast.com. And you can also stay in touch on the Facebook page as well. Uh, that is it then. As we said for now, we will be back very soon. Until then, from me, Tim Cable, until next time, bye-bye for now. 